Good morning, friends. Today is that Sunday in the church year we call Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday in the church year. On the first Sunday of Advent, we start all over with what is essentially New Year's Day. But as you can see, the pyramids this morning are purple because I wanted to start Advent one week early so that I can have six parts to Advent this year, including Christmas Eve. And so let's call this Christ the King and Threshold of Advent. And let's hear from the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel Nativity story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and this virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for for her who was said to be barren. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jan Richardson is a Methodist minister, poet, and artist from Florida. The Reverend Richardson's husband, Garrison Dole, died on the second day of Advent in 2013 after what was supposed to be routine surgery. He was 62 years old. Now, obviously, this sudden grief colored Miss Richardson's Advent a deeper shade of purple, almost black, ever after. And preparing to celebrate Advent in subsequent years, Miss Richardson decided that she would pay attention to the way the major players in the Gospel Nativity stories faced a disorienting experience they were not prepared for either, how they gathered strength for the facing of these extraordinary, unprecedented days. So during the extended Advent series this year, six Advent practices for the shortest days and darkest nights. The sun rose at 6.50 this morning and will set this afternoon at 4.24, giving us 10 hours, 44 minutes, and 18 seconds of daylight, and 13 hours, 16 minutes, and 42 seconds of darkness. Some people get sad during this time of year, seasonal affective disorder. Most of us, have lives that are darker just now by the recurrence of this stubborn, implacable virus. Friendship is the first Advent practice. Once upon a time, a preacher's wife from the suburbs of Jerusalem learns that she is unexpectedly expecting. Her name is Elizabeth, and she is well into middle age. 
As the Bible politely puts it, it had ceased to be with her after the manner of women. Six months later, Elizabeth's cousin Mary, a peasant girl from the small Galilean town of Nazareth, learns that she is also unexpectedly expecting. Mary's pregnancy is almost as improbable, perhaps more, than Elizabeth's because Mary is a virgin, or claims to be. So here they are, these cousins. Elizabeth is over 50, and Mary is still a teenager, probably not younger than 15, but definitely not older than 19. Now what do you do to cope with unexpected news and such a terrifying immediate future? You find a friend. Mary travels the 100 miles from Nazareth to the suburbs of Jerusalem, Probably took her about four days. Luke doesn't tell us who escorted her, but surely a teenage girl would not take such a perilous journey by herself. Or maybe there was a band of pilgrims going that common way between Galilee and Jerusalem. And when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, the two impossibly pregnant women begin comparing notes on taking care of yourself and getting enough sleep and eating the right foods and procuring a crib and diapers and baby onesies. When the days are short and the nights are long, when you feel alone and isolated by unexpected, impossible news or by a ruthless pandemic, when people are whispering cruel rumors about you, find a friend. None of of us can flourish during these dark nights on our own. A long time ago, I heard a phrase that stayed with me ever since. The sacrament of friendship. Yes? Don't know where I heard that. Maybe I made it up myself. The sacrament of friendship. The church defines a sacrament as a visible sign of an invisible grace or a heavenly appearance, an earthly appearance of a heavenly benediction. The waters of baptism and the bread and wine of the Eucharist are visible signs of an invisible grace. And maybe we should think of friendship too as a sacrament. It's one of those places in life where God shows up when divinity is most palpably real to us. Now maybe friendship is such a great gift because in it we experience the benediction of being chosen, right? From among the world's untold billions, wonder of wonders and grace upon grace, My friend chooses precisely me to share his life. It could have been entirely otherwise because friendship is one of the truly voluntary relationships in human life. We're stuck with the children our chromosomes unwittingly produce and unfortunately for some, we can't choose the parents who happen to birth us into existence and our little sister Wendy Weiner will forever remain our irritating kin. And we got to work where they have a job. But we get to choose our friends. And when we are chosen, that feels like an unmerited grace. Annie Lamott says, Most humbly of all is to comprehend the life-saving gift that your pit crew of people has been for you and all the experiences you've shared, the journeys together, the collaborations, the births, the deaths, divorces, rehab, vacations, this solidarity you have chosen, ch- chosen to show to one another. Every so often you realize 
Without them, your life would be barren and pathetic. It would be death of a salesman, only with email and texting. The marvel is that somehow you lured them into your web 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and they are totally stuck with you. What a great scam to have gotten people of such extreme quality and loyalty to think you are stuck with them. Oh my God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My best friend emailed me the other day when we lived in Connecticut together. He and his wife and Kathy and I did almost everything together. And he wanted to tell me that he'd finally gotten a chance to read Wallace Stegner's novel, Crossing to Safety. Been begging him to read it for 20 years, but he finally got around to it. And he loved it so much that he inhaled it in a single day. Maybe you've read Crossing to Safety. It's about two American couples, four fast friends who meet when they're young and then share a treasured, intimate, lifelong coalition. It might be the best book about friendship that I've ever read. No, wait a minute. That can't be, right? There must be greater books about friendship, but I guess I haven't read those. Crossing to Safety. The title is important. Fine friends help each other cross to safety. At one point in Crossing to Safety, the narrator finds himself at an ancient, beat-up summer home where in the distant past, the four friends had gathered summer after summer after summer, teaching each other's children to swim and sail and fish, and telling ghost stories around the campfire, and reading books on the porch in the light of the moon. And returning to the old beloved place after a long absence, the narrator says, and then there it was, there it is, the place where during the best times of our lives, friendship had its home and happiness its headquarters. The unfinished, wall, the unfinished pine of the walls and ceilings has mellowed over the years to a rich honey color as if stained by the warmth of the people who built it into a shelter for their friends. And then in his email, my friend said to me that crossing to safety made him think of their friendship with Kathy and me. And those, of course, were the kindest words I'd heard in a long time because my friend has helped me to cross to safety time after time after time. When Herman Melville finished Moby Dick, perhaps the greatest book ever written by an American, he suspected that it would be condemned by the critics and misunderstood by the public. He was very nervous. But in fear and trembling, Mr. Melville sent a copy of Moby Dick to his friend Nathaniel Hawthorne, another great American author, who frankly didn't much care for it, but understood its utterly new perspective and gave it at least faint praise. In a letter to Mr. Hawthorne, Mr. Melville wrote, A sense of unspeakable security is in me this moment on account of your having understood the book. I have written a wicked book and feel spotless as a lamb. I feel that the Godhead is broken up like the bread of the Lord's Supper and that we are the pieces I like the way he puts that in our friendships. God is broken up 
like the bread at the Lord's Supper, and we are the pieces, the sacrament of friendship, a visible sign of an invisible grace. When the bewildered, frightened, teenaged Mary knocks on Elizabeth's door, Elizabeth's face instantly gladdens and brightens. She says, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. As soon as I heard your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. I hope there's someone in your life whose countenance gleams the instant she lays eyes on you. I hope there is someone in your life you can lean on too when the days are short and the nights are dark. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.